Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Kansas City jazz pianist Jackie Myers on 2023 and beyond. It has been since the pandemic we talked to Jackie, and in this new interview, we cover how she made it through the COVID lockdown time, realizations, her current 2023 itinerary of shows around town, dreams of a new recording, and a host of other things. We get into a spirited conversation I've been looking forward to since our pandemic era 2020 interviews. Enjoy. Thanks for taking a minute out today. Thanks for reaching out. It's great to catch up with you. It seems like we interviewed a lot kind of during and before the pandemic, and we've kind of had a gap, so it's great to reconnect. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. You bet. So I, I got to stay up front so everybody understands a little level of relativity. You were back out playing. I caught you at Ophelia's on Friday, January 6th. It was wonderful to see you live, and that's just a part of a larger um, level of shows that are happening now in this new year. So before we get into anything else, I just want to go to that visceral feeling of what it's like to continue to get out there and play and to ramp it up more. Oh, man, it's it's suddenly feeling pretty good. And I was telling you this at Ophelia's. I think really, I mean, I was playing right out the gate when the venues opened again. But I think now is when I feel like I'm I'm really back, is this year. And I'm really excited about it. I think I'm going to jump on that wave and I'm going to try to release a CD this year and hit the road as much as I can. And just be in the shed and give everything I've got to the gigs. And, and I think the one thing I want to kind of touch on before we kind of jump into the now and the future is, you know, when, when all of this happened, my memory of this is that there was a handful of musicians, especially locally, that I really wanted to tap into and get a feel for, you know, what was going on. Because even though it's a memory, it's, it's still jumbled up as a relatively recent memory. When all of this began with COVID in 2020, the survival, and you were pretty cutting edge with the PlexPod shows and staying active. As you look back on all of this, how did you survive it? What, was, what, was, what were the keys for you to get through this so that you're still a very relevant musician in the Kansas City jazz community right now in 2023? I think that what I've learned during the pandemic is that, um, like, how did I survive? I don't know. I had to, <laughs> you know, like, mm. I think that's like my biggest takeaway from the pandemic is that it wasn't really a choice. It was like an urge or an instinct to try to make new platforms to play on because I, I'm not sure I was aware how much I needed to play. And I touched on that at the restaurant. Um, but I just truly, truly need to play and be part of live music. And even when I wasn't playing and I did those PlexPod shows, at least I was creating a place where live music was there again. I just have this like weird primal need to not just play, but hear it and be part of it and make it happen. So I don't think it was really something where I was like, how, I'm gonna, how am I going to do this? It was more of just like a reaction. I just jumped into action i if i'd have thought it through i don't think i would have done any of it because some of it was kind of like those um drive-in shows people kept calling and emailing and being like you know ha could you have your staff do this or that <laughs> because it seemed like it was this like larger operation because there'd be like more than 100 people at these shows there was a stage there was a sound system 
but it was me. It was just me. And it was like maybe two or three of my friends some of the time. Um, and I'd try to hire like someone to help me like set up sound or break down sound. But it was really just like me fielding all the phone calls and the emails and organizing it. And I, I, there's no way that was like really like the most logical or sound business plan. But I took a big risk. And financially, I took a big risk because the PlexPod was charging rent. And I did it because I just needed, I needed it to happen. And Kansas City showed up. I mean, I never, we were, we made a profit on all of those shows. Not big ones, but we always made enough to cover everything and to cover the show. So, I, but it was like completely irrational. For like something like a pop-up venue, you would really want like investors or a solid infrastructure. And I just, improvised all of it and same thing with the live streaming a lot of that stuff you know i had to invest in cameras and all sorts of doohickeys with my computer and take the time and learn all the technology that was a risk too it ended up that we were doing fine with the shows but the initial investment it took and the learning curve there was no guarantee that that was going to work out but i didn't do either of those things for money it ended up that I didn't lose money, but I did it so that I could play. I you don't know, think I really thought it through. It was just like I, I just needed to play. I needed to make music happen. You know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm honing in on what you said about it was, it was irrational. That time period was irrational. Everybody was thrown into it. And I think I remember talking to a lot of musicians, jazz musicians specifically when this happened. You all are always thrown into the unknown. I mean, what what you did with those shows is what jazz musicians have to do all the time, is you're thrown into this unknown situation. You have to make it sound good. And you guys always do that. So it was almost as though that time, from an artistry standpoint, was something that I think jazz musicians are probably used to all the time. Right. I, that's so true. I mean, like, even just our gigs, they ebb and flow. Sometimes, like, I'm having a, I'm having a decent month. I got a lot of gigs this month. Uh, six months ago, there were months where it's like, oh gosh, I got two gigs this week. We're, we are used to having to deal with that. And all you can ever do is just practice more, work harder, go see more live music, and try to be part of it. You know, the one thing too about this time period that, that we've all lived through is that the, the music community and jazz musicians had to acquire new skills, new ways. And, and we had Bandcamp Fridays, and there was all these things that came in. So now is kind of the dust settles. You know, we look at Kansas City. More clubs have opened. We have the Uptown, uh, um, the Uptown Club that you've played at before. And there's all these things that are still in existence. What is your viewpoint about the Kansas City community and how they survived it and how they're doing right now? I think they're back in action. And I think, I think jazz is just cooked into this town. I think art and music are cooked in as well, but I, I can only really speak on the community that I'm part of. And um, I, it was one of the first things that came back. And if anything, I think folks realize they missed it so much that they're being more supportive than they were before. There are some concerns. The cost of living in the town has changed. I'm a little worried about that because this used to be a place that was really friendly in terms of how much you can make at the gigs and your cost of living. And it made it conducive for jazz artists to be here. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. But in terms of the venues, uh, I mean, I played Black Dolphin last night. That venue didn't used to be open on Sundays. 
Now it is. So is the downstairs of Green Lady. Stan Kessler played there last night. And Chaz just reopened their weekends. I played there on Saturday night. They were down to just weeknights before, but this year they said we're coming back seven days a week. And I, you know, I'm not super convinced that these places need to do that business-wise. I think, I think this is like the town saying we want jazz seven nights a week. And Corvino also, they've got their jazz going seven nights a week. They were one of the first to step back into their old model right after the pandemic. They kind of went right back to that seven nights a week format. I think we have, I mean, I'm not sure because I haven't really like looked at numbers, but I think we have as much programming as we did pre-pandemic now, if not more. Yeah, I would agree. So from your personal standpoint with what you've lived through and been through and obviously with the PlexPod shows and a lot of things that you had to do to survive, how are you stronger now that you reemerge and start playing in this new year? Well, I mean, I don't. I hope I'm stronger, Joe. I don't know. Um, one one thing that really helped is that during the pandemic, I was able to get access to education and like affordable education, and that speaks to the quality of life in this town. I was able to um, go to UMKC and get a graduate degree, and Bobby was still there. Bobby Watson during the pandemic, he stayed at UMKC because what he's, he was he couldn't tour. So I got to, like, spend that year hanging out with these incredible musicians um, and furthering my education. And I kind of went all in on that because I didn't have that much to hold on to. I was still playing. But when I say playing, I mean, like, four times a month. Whereas, like, you, you know us. You know what we do in this town. We're usually playing at least that much during one week. So I needed, like, something more. And after a time, I couldn't do the parking lot concerts because it got cold and the streaming kind of went out because the venues half opened up again and people just couldn't look at the computer screen as much anymore, which I, I totally get. So around that time, that fall, I, I started school and I think that did some great things for me. I got to study, I've always studied with Roger Wilder kind of off and on since I moved here, but this was in more of a organized fashion. We took it down to brass tacks, you know, all the theory courses and the history courses plus the playing and the independent studies I got to do. I also got to study with Marcus Lewis. But, yeah, between those, like, three names and Mitch, Mitch Butler, I, I feel like that really helped me develop in a time when trying to grow was so challenging. So the one thing that's very promising, it's been kind of the reverberating theme, is the live element. You've got a weekly gig at BB's. Ophelia is in downtown Independence. You have Chaz. Of course, you have Black Dolphin. You just played there yesterday. And you're going out on the road in late January to both Memphis and St. Louis. Talk to me a little bit about, kind of hone in a little bit on what you're doing and kind of how you see 2023 unfolding in that fashion. Sure. I, I also want to edit that list just a little bit. I'm also at Corvino every second and fourth Wednesday. And I I usually play on the weekends at least once a month, but that's also one of my residencies. I love them, so I, <laughs> I like to do a shout-out. Um, I am yeah. doing some road stuff. I get to go to I, – I play a little bit in the blues scene in Kansas City. And for me, you know, blues is such an uh, integral part of jazz. I get to play with this guy named Nick Schneblin. And he grew up here. 
His dad was a blues musician. His sister and his late brother, blues musicians. Like, he just is born and bred to do this kind of music on top of just being the nicest guy in the world. And he came and he played on 12th Street Jump when I was music director of that show. We did a tribute um, to Albert Collins. And he came and played, and that's how we met. And now years later, he's got me playing the Hammond B3 in his group. And I do some traveling with him. I don't do the George Thorogood shows, but we are going down to International Blues Challenge in Memphis at the end of the month. We are playing uh, Knuckleheads. Occasionally we're doing a record release this year. And um, I don't think I'm allowed to let the cat out of the bag on some of the more serious travels, but there's some whispers a bit about going across the pond. So, you know, the one thing, and we kind of talked about this in the beginning, is that, you know, you came here from Austin. You were kind of in the indie music scene there. You come into jazz. It's a love, and it's something you've cultivated here. Now, as we kind of look in the rearview mirror, and you've been through a lot here in Kansas City, how do you feel? You know, is there sometimes you just sit back at the end of the day and think, man, this is where I'm at, and this is where I came from? Yeah. There's been times here where I'm, like, ever so slightly frustrated or – but for, like, 90% of the time, maybe more, I'm just super psyched to be here still. That that feeling has not really worn off. I think – like, sometimes at my shows, the, <laughs> the other week somebody came up to me and they were like, hey, you got to keep on going. We think you're going to make it one day. And I was so confused because, like, I'm playing jazz in Kansas City. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, to me, this is like my, that's my, that was my dream. Maybe it's not as big of a dream as other people have, but this scene is so important to me. And it is like the foundation, in a lot of ways, of the jazz that I know and love. This is where it came from. So for me to be part of building the next chapter of jazz in this city, like, I, I don't know. I was I was just like, I did. I did. Make, I'm playing jazz on a stage in Kansas yeah. City. And yeah. I still feel that, like, um, almost, like, childish wonderment at the whole thing. I loved, I mean, my gigs this weekend were so, were all so different. You saw me at a restaurant, and then I played at the Foundation, where, of course, everyone has played. Every famous person in jazz. Charlie Parker has played there. And there I was on that stage. And it was such a different vibe. We were loud. We were raucous. We just played. We went out in the music. We came back. And then the next day, I performed at a hotel, a little quieter, much more intimate. I sang. Um, but folks knew, folks know Chaz for jazz. So they went there, and I got to play for them. And then the next night, totally different vibe, kind of like a listening room. And the amount, the amount of, like, different facets of jazz in town that I get to be a part of are just totally overwhelming in a positive way for me. You know, yeah, I'm still very excited to be here. You know, I remember the first interview that we had, I asked you about what you liked the best about Kansas City. And, and, and you were being tongue-in-cheek, but you called me back, and you had a more defined answer. So I'm curious now, after all of this time here, what would, what would your answer be if I asked you what you liked the best about the Kansas City community and and or jazz community, they cross pollinate. What would be your answer now in 2023? I like the musicians and the music itself. I think when the community is at its best, the infrastructure supports those two things. And I I think the musicians 
love and support each other in a way that it's, of course, there's like some competition, but that's not really the vibe here. Folks want everyone to do well. It's like a whole group of people all rooting for each other. Rising tides, that kind of deal. You know, the one thing that we talked about the other night during a break at Ophelia's, which totally shocked me because I've listened to your music so much, and, and I guess it just didn't hone in on the fact that your albums are live, and we were kind of talking about the possibility of new material coming out, and I know that artists have to be kind of tangential about that because there is a lot that goes into it, and you got to keep that cat in the bag for a bit. But is there anything that you can illuminate us on anything that might be coming out and in what nature and fashion that might happen? I, you know, and I'm I'm glad to have an interview to hold myself accountable because I need to make a studio album in Kansas City. That's what I need to do. You know, I don't know how that's exactly going to turn out. I have written most of the material. That's where I'm at. So I'm not sure when that's going to be released or recorded, but my goal is this year. And, yeah, it'll be really nice to make another studio album. The live albums are great, and they've helped me develop, but there's something about just being in a room only with the other musicians that's kind of vital to some projects. So from my standpoint, what I do behind the microphone of presenting this music and the artists is that when I hear someone say, and and I'm enough into the art field, too, with, with painting and stuff, I think from a creative standpoint, wow, you got the material, you're ready to go, that seems to be the hardest part. You know, it's kind of like a relationship. I have to remind the teenagers that live with me that the hardest part of love is that you have to work through it. You know, when you find someone that's out of the way, then you need to work on making it work. So I'm thinking from what you just said, you have all this material. Well, you got the hard part out of the way, but that has to be like a gross misrepresentation because you have to secure the studio funding, all of that. So in that process, What's the easiest and hardest part of you going and embarking on this? Yeah, I mean, you said it. That's that's not even half of it. You have to get the funding for the studio. You have to pick your players. I, I think that picking players is really difficult because there's so many good ones. It's like I have no idea how to do that. There's, <laughs> there's so many people that I get to work with that are just, like, so great at what they do. Do you have multiple ones on different tracks? Some people do it that way. And then on top of that... What's really changed in the game is um, how to get your music out there. And there's, there's, it's like really easy and really difficult at the same time. You can sign up for publishing and you can do that through things like CD Baby and there's a million little models where you can pay a set fee and they just put your music out on every platform you could ever imagine in every place uh, under the sun. But then you just put your music out into the sea of just uh, a plethora of tracks that, and no one can really find you out there. So y- you have to be able to cut through that too. I, I mean, I have some avenues to work towards that goal, and I've worked with people in the past, and it's basically under the umbrella of PR, but putting a budget together and a plan together for that. I Sometimes I think you have to be as creative in your business practices as you are as a composer or player in order to break through. And I'm not sure if there's times where I thought, like the first time I got reviewed by Plastic Sacks, Bill Brownlee, um, I was really excited because in Austin it was such a huge field. And I was playing and, I, you know, once in a while I'd get a little bit of press, but 
hear the community, whether you get a positive or negative review, the community really does know the different players and the venues. And you can put out work and they will definitely at least give you a review or talk to you about it. They're interested. So I'm not afraid of releasing work in Kansas City. This is my home and I think people will listen to my work. But where, do, where does it go and how do I get it out there? Do I use a series of videos? Do I, what is TikTok? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, like, those are, those are the hurdles for, like, a modern musician. Do you make work to make it as uh, a business card, or do you make it to get you into venues, uh, you know, four states away? And I think understanding why you're making an album and gearing your plan towards those goals is crucial, and that will be my challenge. And I would... I love living here. I love playing in the local scene. It's more important to me than other venues and other markets. But I would like access to those other markets, and I do travel. I'm going down to Austin um, and at very end of March, beginning of April, to play a club called the Elephant Room. And it, it's this great club. And, of course, I'm, I'm from – I lived in Austin for a long time. And I'd like to be able to promote small trips like that and visit other jazz communities because you can learn a lot from the different players and different venues and environments. I would like to access those other markets as well, and all of that will influence when and how I release the album. So speaking of albums and live shows in 2023 and beyond, let everyone know out there the best place for them to find out about anything that you're doing gig-wise. If they want to pick up previous albums, news about you, where should they go? www.jackiemyersmusic.com. I also am pretty active on my Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Jackie Myers Music, and my Instagram, which is the same handle, instagram.com slash Jackie Myers Music. So, Jackie, I got to tell you, there was a point, and you probably don't know this, during the pandemic where I was really, really looking forward. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I was really looking forward to having that follow-up post-pandemic interview, and this feels really good to be at a point where we're talking about the healing and the revival and everything coming back. So it was kind of a culmination of things to see you live the other night and actually have this conversation. So thank you for taking a minute out. It's wonderful to catch up. We look forward to seeing you more and more as this year kind of goes forward. Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's always great catching up with you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Austin, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Jackie for always being such a supporter of the program and the Kansas City arts scene. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or Spotify. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything all the time, Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.